Hello, this is another of the occasional episodes of Behind the Book, a conversation about the people, places, and ideas associated with my biography, Daniel Morgan, A Revolutionary Life, which, I should add, is available from your local bookstore or from the usual online vendors. If you're interested in getting a signed copy, then go to the Historically Thinking website and click on the tab labeled Daniel Morgan to find three wonderful bookstores that will be happy to sell a copy to you. Today, I talk with the staff of the Clark County Historical Association in Berryville, Virginia. Back in 1753, Daniel Morgan arrived in the Shenandoah Valley and settled in what was now Clark County. It's a beautiful and special place, as I think you'll find through this conversation. Um, so I'm here with Nathan Salvi, is that right? Stalvi. Stalvi. Yes. The director of the Clark County Historical Association and Mary Morris, who's the archivist. Why are you the association rather than the society, unlike every other Has anyone ever wondered about that? There actually is. About um, about 10 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, there was, I mean, we've always been the historical association, Yeah. but it's wordplay is yeah. what it is. Uh, about 10 or 15 years ago in the museum field, there was a push to go away from the word society. Sure. It felt exclusive. It felt... Um, it felt too high end for people, and yeah. there were—I mean, there—I could speak to a number of organizations. One was, it what's called Historic New England used to be the Society for the Preservation of New England Antiquities. Yeah. Uh, I did a graduate fellowship in Maine at the Old York Historical Society, and then right. they changed to the Museums of Old York. They've since gone back to the a- Old APVA or what was it? Is that Preservation of Virginia Antiquities, or that yeah. now something mm-hmm. else? So now, of course, the Virginia Historical Society is now really the Virginia Museum, the Virginia of, Museum of History, which yeah, is owned by the Virginia Historical Society, right. but still. So it, it gives the the word society. I think conjures up images of. Trying to be too higher class. What you're saying, what you're saying right early, uh, old ladies in blue hair and tennis shoes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So association sounds more like it incorporates everybody, young yeah, and old. Sure. You know, rich or poor. But this is a long time. This but we've always been we've the always association. association. We've never had to just grapple. Yeah. With, although it's interesting, a lot of people will mispronounce. You know, when I'm telling people, you know, where I work, and then yeah. they introduce me, they always throw in society associations. Like, it isn't, yeah. Okay. Out of reflex. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, my, I think my editor is convinced um, that when I was writing about Daniel Morgan, that I'm actually from Clark County, mm-hmm. um, because I even end, I even end the book at Millwood, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, but I'm not, I, I have no real formal association with, but I do think it's a wonderful place mm-hmm. and in many ways um, understanding it helped me understand Morgan mm-hmm. and I couldn't have written and, until I came to an epiphany about Clark County uh, or what was then Frederick County mm-hmm. I couldn't have written the book at all um, so let's first of all people are always confused when I refer to the lower Shenandoah so why don't you explain what is the lower Shenandoah why the lower this is the northern part of the valley why is it the lower Shenandoah <laughs> The river runs backwards. There you go. Runs north to south. Yeah. And so we are in the lower section of the river, closer to its mouth. Yep. Where it runs into the Potomac right. at Harper's Ferry. Right. Um, so Clark County has a confusing geographical history. Um, Clark County, what, what's the date? That 1831. 06? 1836. Sorry, I'm thinking... I'm thinking <laughs> So what was it? And of course, and we're up against a state line here, 
Yes. yes. All these lines didn't really kind of exist in people's no. mind. No. No, so because, the, of course, Jefferson County was part of Virginia at that time. Yeah. And we're surrounded by... Well, so what makes... Uh, this was part of Frederick County up until 1836. Right. Frederick County, county seat is... The courthouse is in Winchester. Mm-hmm. Yes. What makes this part, the eastern part, different than the western part? Okay. In the 1720s and 30s, Robert King Carter was the land agent for Lord Fairfax. Before he retired in the 1730s, I think he had in 1732, he decided to give his 10 sons and grandsons a small piece of property, (laughs) 50,212 acres, which comprises today the lower half of Clark. Yeah. And... Even early uh, 1740s, 50s, they were sending factors and slaves up here to the land and finding out that they could grow huge crops of wheat. Mm -hmm. So after the revolution, with the lands over to back cropped on the James, Mm -hmm. and with the damage that was done when Arnold came through, a lot of the sons, such as Nathaniel Burrell, Um, came to the valley and they would stay here for the summers because of less pestilential air Mm -hmm. and they finally ended up being permanent residents so across the Peckin Creek which is now our western border is that how I pronounce it? Opecan? Opecan. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I've been saying Opequan in my head the entire <laughs> That's time. That's okay, you're not the only So Opecan, okay. Oh, and they call it Opecan. Well, when you figure that Taliaferro up here is Tolliver. Well, my people call Taliaferro uh-huh. in Virginia becomes Tolliver. It's true. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's all the ways. <laughs> um, but on the western half of what was Frederick County, what is now Frederick County today. You had a lot of German, Scotch-Irish, small farmers, merchants, um, and they were so very different, both in outlook, Mm -hmm. in what they did, Mm -hmm. what they owned. They didn't believe in having slaves. Why should they? They had kids. They had small farms. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And they did not see eye-to-eye both, you know, economically and politically. Right. So... As, and uh, what the penny dropped for me, Warren Hofstra describes, of course, he's into the landscapes, and he describes the difference between that part of the valley and this part of the valley, that shale, so the shale over the, right. over the, uh, the creek... Right. Name I won't pronounce. And then there's limestone over here. Right. You know, different things grow better over there. You know, different things grow better over there. They don't have a major river in Frederick. We do. Yeah. Agriculturally, culturally, linguistically, even, it's very, very different. Because Um, we we would hear German speakers over there. Right. And this area, I think, a lot of the people who came up from the Tidewater came directly up here for the reasons that Mary just said. Plus, it was. You were also a little bit closer to the Potomac, mm-hmm. so you weren't that far away from everything. You were; it was the the land was a lot better. Um, you didn't have to deal with what they saw at the time was you know, the population boom. 
Right. Uh, this was something where they could carve out land. And one of the things I will say that impresses me about this county, this small little county, has mm-hmm. an unbelievable amount of history that's still around. It, it survived wars. It survived all kinds of. You know, it survived so much, and you still see houses that were built in the 1700s. There, there are some houses that have been in the same family. Some of the same family names have been around for hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, recently, Fairfield. Uh, it's a house that's just in the north end of the county, just north of town. Recently sold to somebody outside the family. Well, this house had been within the same family since 1831. That's where I was getting the 1831. I was thinking right. of, I was yeah. thinking of right. the Robin And the, the house was built by Warner Washington. Yeah, and like his initials are inscribed on, on the stone. And Warner was his Washington's cousin. Cousin, yeah. There's so many Washingtons. I mean, there's kind of a, there's a pattern there too that young George having a, a miserable inheritance by Tidewater standards mm-hmm. has to seek his fortune as a surveyor in the valley. And then his younger brothers uh, by his younger brothers have to get land out here or he helps them get land in the well, valley. Right. He, he, got, he got a couple of land grants he, right across what we have now, the West Virginia land. On yeah, the whole. immediately he starts buying land along Bolston right. Creek. Yeah. And if you go up the street here, yeah. we're downtown Berryville. If you go further east on Main Street, you get out to Claremont Farm. Claremont was surveyed by George Washington. You can still see the lines where that was boundaries are at that were laid out by George Washington. And I guess there's also, I mean, one of the interesting, you've got a great um, exhibit here in the in the museum, uh, fantastic video. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things they, it brings out is that this was a 55% enslaved majority mm-hmm. in what, by 1850? Mm-hmm. Which 1850, is, it was exactly 50-50. The, by 1860, it was 55-40. Which is extraordinary um, by the standards of the valley. That's a Tidewater, Virginia. That is that influence, that Tidewater influence. Yeah, it's a tide, exactly. so you can see that that Tidewater influence last Well, you see, there. that's one thing you don't see a lot of. You see some, but not a lot of in Frederick County, uh-huh. were these large estates. Yes. Here in Clark County, much smaller county, there are tons that are still around. Absolutely extraordinary estates. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. from the from federal architecture all the way to 1900, you've got, right. like, the pro, the best kind of, the best money can buy a build yeah. Yeah. Um, in Clark County. And and having those houses is sort of a connection to CCHA because, like I was telling you earlier, the younger sons of these tidewater planters that grew huge crops of wheat had large mills like the Burwell Morgan built by Colonel Nathaniel Burrell or Carter Hall, gentleman on the. And Daniel Morgan. And General Daniel Morgan, because Morgan had been a teamster. He knew the the people, he knew the ways to transport. Um, And I will tell you, in some of the records that we have for the mill, just one flatboat captain in 1851 between September of that year and January of 52 mm-hmm. flat-boated 4,852 barrels of cornmeal and flour <laughs> down the Shenandoah to Harper's Ferry. Yeah. And that was just one flatboat one captain, one flat captain, and we don't know how many more were doing it. Warren Hofstra says, and this is an incredible thing, is that even as early as 1810, there was not 
a foot-pound of hydraulic power in the lower valley mm -hmm. that was not being used. Yeah. There was yep. a mill on every possible stream, creek, you know, drainage area that was running continually, milling, milling, and creating this. This is this this is this is so key to the history of the Eastern United States. This is right. key to the creation of Baltimore right. uh, as a great port. I mean, this is the center of the breadbasket that will drive forward all that. that yeah. When they problems. did a mill survey, um, Aaron Skyer and Joe Whitehorn did it for JMU. Um, mm. I think it was 2007. Yeah. They figured out that there was about 115 mills of various sizes in the county. In Clark County alone. In Clark County alone. <laughs> it's not even, does that count the up, um, okay, that cannot, I'll never be able to. It, it, it was mostly, a lot of them just had one set of stones because all they were doing was grinding for the neighbors. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. if it ran by water power, they said it they was had, a mill. Yeah. And yeah. They, they said, of course, in some of those that they have listed, a lot of times the name of the mill changed when the miller changed, mm -hmm. and so they're not sure how many of them were duplicates. Mm -hmm. But they figured that at least seventy-five percent of that hundred and fifteen were individual mills. Yeah, they were everywhere. I mean, yeah. they were all up and down the Shenandoah. They were up and down the Opekin. I mean, they were. You can see remnants here and there. If you go to Cool Spring Battlefield, you'll still see some some small stone remnants and some cutouts on the land where the mill used to be up on the northern end. What was that mill? I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't either. But it was right there by the retreat. Mm -hmm. um, so there were mills everywhere, but they it's it's amazing how quickly they came out of service and just disappeared mm -hmm. just, yeah. almost overnight. Yeah. And <coughs> even though these structures were built to last. They were very difficult to maintain. And then once you get steam power, electricity, mm -hmm. and you get new ways of doing farming and new ways of producing grain and cornmeal, mm -hmm. the mills became obsolete and they were just too expensive and, to keep up. And, right. and any kind of, well, even the first trucks. Mm -hmm. right. I, I figure you can see in the revolution in the South how important mills are to the movement of troops. Uh, the British Army is always camping near a mill. Of course, you have right. to camp near a mill because mm -hmm. that's where you get your food. Yeah. Right. And everyone has to be within a walking distance of yeah. a mill, at least yeah. a minimal uh, throughout colonial and 19th century America, to get your daily bread mm -hmm. um, and to get your daily bread ground. And when that, as soon as you, when you can go farther, you have to be within walking distance just to send the kid, you know, I figure. Um, and yeah. it, it, not even within horse riding distance. You have to also think, too, when our mill, the Burl Morgan, was built down in Millwood in 1782, that was a commercial mill. Yes, it is. Yeah. And for this area to have at least one commercial mill and possibly two to three, yeah, that was sending flour and cornmeal out. Right. You know, there you have a bunch that work for the for the neighbors and the surrounding community, but you also have huge ones that ours would do forty thousand bushels a week in a season. And we could, I mean, in the mill, if we wanted to, we just not have it as a national landmark and just decide, hey, we want to make it a commercial mill again. Uh huh. 
we could. We could still grind that way. We have two big stones. Yeah. They're 54 inches in diameter, which is larger yeah. than mo- your average millstone that you'll find Most anywhere else. 36, yeah. Yeah, 36 to 42, and ours are 54. How far, how old are those stones? 1866. Okay. And they've been Came in use. Baltimore. Yep, and they've been in use ever since. <laughs> and we still use them. The And one of the other things that's unique about that mill is that it has the water wheel on the inside, mm-hmm. which is another rarity that you see this far south. It may be a little more common up north, given weather and climate and, and, and such. But down here, I think it was they didn't want to run any risk mm-hmm. of any type of harsh weather. They wanted to make sure that they could grind at all times. So it was a it was a big commercial mill. Is that a, is that original to the first construction? It is. It yes. Is. Yeah. Huh. And so, like I said, we even today, like if we decided all of a sudden, yes, let's not be an historical association, let's yeah. commercially grind, we wouldn't have to do much. Stone grind commercial still, mill. Yeah, you yeah, might still consider still that as that could be a real good fundraiser. We, well, we grind. Uh, we grind every Saturday. You do, yeah. We do, and we sell what we what we grind, and we do cornmeal, we do wheat, we do barley, we do buckwheat, pancake flour, all that, um, and we'll grind anywhere from fifty pounds to. 200, 250 pounds, and it takes us just a few hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll get through it. Yeah. yeah. What? Um, so it makes when I was thinking about Morgan and his friendships, it's really important that he comes as a landless labor, as a homeless boy with the clothes on his back, according to Benjamin Berry of of Berryville, uh, who doesn't sound that pleased with his memories of Morgan. Um, if you look at Doctor Hill's notes, um, but he comes as a homeless boy from who knows where. Maybe New Jersey. Maybe he refuses. He refuses to say for the rest of his life, even to members. Well, of his in eight, uh, 1755, when he joined Ashby's Rangers, um, he said Pennsylvania. Yeah, but which can really foul up a few people. Yeah, it's, when you figure that parts of Pennsylvania and parts of New Jersey kind of. Well, yeah, he probably li- he probably lived in both places. I think. Yeah, um, his father seems to have been a landless laborer himself or tenant so who knows right. um, it wasn't that important to him <laughs> right um, but by the time the mill was starting to be built he owned four to six hundred acres yeah here alone and he, yes. so it's amazing how he he I think coming to live in this the southern part of what would be Clark County in southeastern Frederick he associates with these tidewater planters uh, with the people that are running their plantations, right. um, and he benefits from those connections. He, you can see that all those he has all these connections as a teamster with the Scottish traders down Falmouth and Fredericksburg right. and Dumfries and Alexandria, and that's when the the mill is an ex, in a expression of that or a post revolution right. expression. All those connections that he's developed and maintained right. and so on. And, but the one thing you have to kind of remember too is that there always was a divide between Morgan and those Tidewater plants. Yeah. Because you can see that in Burwell's ledgers when he talks about paying Morgan, it was more like Morgan was an employee, not yeah. a partner. Yeah. So it's, we don't know. Yeah. But, but I am sure that, you know, you never see anything about Morgan and the Tidewater planters socially connecting, yeah. but they would use his expertise. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's. I think that's. That's. That's right. Yeah. That's my. That's my feeling about it too. 
because you just you just I think that's one reason why he's a hero unknown and he's a Darth right and certainly uh, he's always given that he's one of those people that gives Burryville its original name of Battletown um, he is an unacceptable social element mm, you know, so. I'm, I'm, originally Barry, at least according to Benjamin Barry, he is. Well, I don't trust Benjamin Barry either. <laughs> the one thing is that the land that Barry bought yeah. was the Battletown Plantation of Charles Smith. Is that okay? And the house is still on the, on the Main Street. Uh-huh. Um, the Big Stone House mm-hmm. is down there. Um, we don't know much about the Smiths. But, um, in fact, we have no idea where Benjamin Barry's buried. He's not buried in Grace Church. Mm-hmm. We do know that because, for one, Grace wasn't there. Two, we've never found anything that said he was an Episcopalian to begin with. The third thing is we think he was probably buried on his farm, and if you can tell me where his farm is, you're better than I am. So you think. <laughs> I'm definitely <not gonna> trying. <laughs> you know, because we don't know. Yeah. And, of course, the, the plaque up at Grace Church talks about Sarah Stribling, his daughter. She's di- uh, she died and is buried in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So It's like so many people. Uh, there's so many people from around here move. It's incredible the people that move to Kentucky, but even Mississippi. Yeah, Morgan's in Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, Louisiana, there were yeah. we, well, we but, did a talk last year yeah. um, on, on that subject. There yeah. were, like the Great Migration in the yeah. early 1800s. Yeah. There were a lot of people who moved out down to Louisiana, the parishes, the yeah. plantations, and the like down there. Right. Um, we there was a talk on Nellie Custis, mm-hmm. and she she was a if you ever read her letters. Mm-hmm. Um, she was she was a little firecracker. Yeah, she spoke her mind, and again, it's that Washington connection. You know, she was raised by the Washingtons, and she was raised at Mount Vernon, and so she got used to that that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And as she got older in life, and she wanted to continue that lifestyle, but her family didn't have that kind of money. And then right. <clears throat> that's was, the reason they moved to Ottawa. Yeah, they didn't have well. Money. They moved. Her husband died. Yeah, her husband died, and then Just she went to go. Was- uh, Nellie yeah. Lewis. Yeah, yeah, that was Fielding was in fact Morgan's aide de camp right. in the Whiskey Rebellion. Right. Yeah. And our other his one of his other aide de camp, Richard Kidder Mead, also lived here in Crawford. That was well yeah, he was uh he's the guy that writes Morgan after Morgan resigns in seventeen seventy eight. And one of his personal letters he's he's saying, you know, I'm gonna be your neighbor. Looking forward right. to being your neighbor. Right. Um he's and, da- he yeah. was down at White Post at Lucky Hip. Yeah, give my best to his lordship when you see him yeah. and so on. We, yeah. we haven't even talked about Lord Fairfax yet, but yeah, yeah. go but go on. So Nellie is I didn't realize that Nellie had moved down to Louisiana. She well what had happened is that she her daughter, her, her daughter, daughter married okay. Edward Butler. Yeah. And they moved down to Louisiana and Nellie was not happy. She hated Edward Butler. She hated him <laughs> with the fury of a thousand sons. She writes that she writes in so many letters to her friend in Philadelphia that she wishes that he were dead, uh-huh. that wishes all kinds of horrible things would happen to him. And she went down to Louisiana in December of 1830, I believe it was. And something happened between her and Edward Butler down there that just really took things, made things even worse. Even worse. Even wow. worse. And yeah. so... Edward Butler would argue that she's out of control, that she still thinks she's at Mount Vernon and spending her poor husband all his money, her husband's money, 
and she can't afford to live that lifestyle, but in her head she thinks she's this big-time Washington aristocrat, and she says that he is abusive and treats her daughter like a prisoner and her grandchildren like prisoners, and he gets to do what he wants without caring for how they're doing. Hmm. Uh, she comes back. She moves in oddly farm, and that's where she spends the rest of her days, and she's that's where she writes a lot of her letters. And... Um, to, her daughter did come and visit a couple of times, but she never went back to Louisiana again. She, no. we don't. One of the things that one of those other unknown stories about Clark County is why was it called Oddly? Nobody knows why it was called Oddly. No. Uh, we cannot figure out why that name. A U D L E Y. A U D L E Y. Famous English noble family. That's all. They all yeah, but we yeah. don't know what connections. I mean, yeah. Nellie Custis had no connection to any Oddlies. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it was interesting, and she it was funny in her letters. She would write about her connections to you know, Franklin Pierce and James K. Polk, and she'd write often about like being in their inner circle. And she loved that yeah. high class. She loved being I mean, a princess. She loved being a princess. Even later in life, she loved being that princess. But yeah. um, it's interesting how all that kind of ties in. You got Washington, you got Morgan Howell. And there are a lot of Washingtons. In. I mean, they they the Washingtons do they proliferate over in Jefferson County. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the bad thing about those three counties yeah. north of us is that when West Virginia was going to become a state, it was determined like, well, West Virginia needs some access to the Potomac. Uh-huh. Yeah. And these three counties did not want to leave Virginia. Like, no, we're Virginians. We don't want to leave. And the government was like, tough beans. Yeah. You're going to become West Virginia because they need access to the Potomac. And so... You, in Even a lot of ways, those three counties are very, very different than West, yeah. Yeah. They, the rest they, of West Virginia. They always say if you take Jefferson County, Clark County, and the northern part of Warren and put it together, you had the biggest tidewater enclave west of the Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and as late as the 1840s, there was a petition by Jefferson County and Hardy mm-hmm. to come back. Hmm. You mean the 1940s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Huh. So, 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 Battletown doesn't get called that because Morgan it was a famous place to brawl. Is that is, there, is that? What and you're th- that's the apocryphal. Story. That's the apocryphal story. Well, James Graham, you know, his Morgan's first biographer says that it's called Berryville by the inhabitants, but only them. Battletown by everybody else. Well, even the well, even the inhabitants as as late as the eighteen sixties were still calling it Battletown. Well, they were yeah. okay. Yeah. Because the, the post office at first was Battletown Post Office. Okay. And, you know, Front Royal was nicknamed Helltown. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Items, and they deserved know, every bit of it. <laughs> yes, they did. Well, that's because of the flatboat. Was that the flat it boats? is. Yeah. 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 And the bars that are right there, right by the river, it, and everybody getting a flight. It's amazing. There's a good little book. I mean, I saw by some local. It was printed was a long time ago. A facsimile of the of the whole flatboats going down the Shenandoah, which mm-hmm. is a whole forgotten... I don't think it until I read that I couldn't believe it that they actually did that because mm-hmm. the Shenandoah I associate with tubing you know that yeah. a tube yeah. sometimes it's too shallow even for a tube if, you go, to, these if you go to Harbor Siri yeah a lot of the wooden houses that are there by the riverside the lower ones yeah, are made out of flatboats they say they're made out of flatboats because they couldn't get them back upstream because of all the rocks and it was too hard to pull and it was easier to build one the next time you needed one than it was to pull it home. And that's one of Morgan's uh, interests later in life is navigation, improvement of navigation yes. to the, you know, Very to the Shenandoah. The, and the canals the, and navigation. Yeah, so he's a big supporter of all of Washington's plans for right. the, the canal and, the, and, and all the Potomac Canal and all, all right. the rest of it. Um, 
I guess we should before I we wrap up. We have to talk about the Civil War, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know everyone does in Virginia eventually. But luckily, we were a pass through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or unluckily. I mean, this is well, no, luckily. This is the breadbasket of the Confederacy. Isn't it? Yeah, but the thing was that we were very lucky when you think about Winchester changing hands. What was seventy-five times? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, we were passed through. Either they were going from Harpers Ferry to Winchester, or they were going from Harpers Ferry to Manassas, yeah. or they were going Harpers Ferry and down to Ashby Gap to go down to uh, Culpeper and Orange. Um, after the occupation, right after the Battle of Kernstown in March of 62, May of 62, um, we had an occupation for three months by the Union Army. That was the last time that we had a long-term occupation. Mm-hmm. They would come in and they would spend a night or two and, of course, um, you know, grind their flour and yeah. steal and burn the hay mouths and things mm-hmm. like that. But except for the Battle of Cool Spring in July of 1864 when Early was coming back from Chambersburg mm-hmm. and the Battle of Berryville, which when you figure that Early had so few soldiers that sometimes there was 500 yards between a soldier on the line, <laughs> which was a skirmish, and the the Berryville wagon train raid by Mosby, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really was it. I mean, when we've got, we've got, um, last year we transcribed a Civil War diary mm-hmm. for our publication, a proceedings publication, and it was a Civil War diary from Sigismundo Stribling Kimball, who <laughs> lived at a farm near Cool Spring, not too far, basically uh-huh. where um, the monastery's at. Uh-huh. And she talked about, you know, the Union soldiers being there, then the Confederate soldiers, and the Union soldiers again, and that there was, when the Union soldiers had occupation, there was a, basically somebody <laughs> who, admit, who was the administrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was in Berryville, and if the soldiers were being unruly, she would go and contact him, and then he would have to get them and put them back in line. And she even wrote, you know, said, you know, he's, they actually, this administrator actually makes sure his men don't, because sometimes they would show up drunk and demand this and that and the other yeah. from the house. And and um, she had no love for the Yankees, none at all. But it, it is interesting to to read about that from, the, from that perspective. Um, so yeah, I mean, just the, that civil war perspective was it, for the first person perspective kind of puts in an example. Like Mary said, it was it was it was a pass through. There was not a. I mean, I'm from South Carolina. Yeah. I lived in Columbia while Columbia was burned to the ground. Well, that, that was during and, a pass through as well. Yeah, it was also during a pass through. Yeah, <laughs> and it was burned to the ground. Yeah. And nothing like that happened here. I mean, like I said earlier, you still see these. Uh, family houses it still is around. Interesting, so given what Sherman did to Mills mm-hmm. in the central right. yep. of the Upper Valley. Yeah. Well, uh, Mills, you know. When Hunter went through and when Sheridan went through and did their burning, they started at Strasburg. Yeah. Really, at Strasburg. Um, that's why we were so lucky. We were off the beaten path because mm. we were not on Route 11. We were a pass through. To, uh, because the turnpike went through Summit Point, came down, went through Berryville, and went to Winchester. That was the big road to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, hello. 
Yeah, I would mention a couple of other things about the Civil War in the area. You should mention Mosby, of course. The other, the other big, uh, since this is sort of well, the, yeah. the western edge of Mosby's Confederacy. All right, well, yeah. I'll mention three things. So <laughs> one, uh, one, the newspapers uh, at the time, a local paper, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a Minnesota regiment <laughs> that was in charge of the newspapers when they were here. Really? The, yeah. the man who was the editor of the Hart Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, his son was killed at First Manassas, and he closed it down when he heard the Yankees coming in, what was it, March of 62? 62. And so the, the Minnesota regiment had it for one day. There was also another time with another group of Union came in, and they were from Michigan, and they used it to print the haversack. Mm-hmm. That nobody's been able to find. <laughs> yeah. um, it's amazing. They must have had several newspapermen in their ranks. They, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah, there's yeah, probably something sense. in every company. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah. enough tra- people of every different type of trade right. to recreate. And then you know, and then another thing I want to point out is that from an oral history I did a couple of years ago with a gentleman named Bev Whiting. Oh. He was in his late 90s, and his grandfather fought in the Civil War for the Confederacy. And he was 16 when his grandfather died. And he still has these, here's this one-person connection to somebody who fought in the Civil War. And that was amazing to hear these stories. Like, everything ended, and whenever you'd have a conversation with him, everything ended with damn Yankees. Damn Yankees, damn Yankees. Uh, so that was fascinating. And then Mosby ties. You know, I, as I said, when I came up here, one of the first questions, like, when I came up from four years ago from South Carolina, yeah. um, one of the first questions I asked was, who's Mosby? <laughs> and people look at me like I was asking, who's George Washington? It's like, how do you not know that? You have a background well, in history. He's he like, the most interesting of all Confederates. Oh, he's the Francis Marion. Yeah. He is. He's the, yeah, yeah. And now you're speaking my language, the Francis Marion. I love Francis Oh, yeah. yeah well, so, and he, uh, I mean, there aren't many Confederates that then become Republicans uh, supporters of Ulysses S. Grant, the president, That's right. yeah. uh, shot at in his native town of Warrington, and then eventually a supporter of the Readjuster government, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, he was a very educated man. Yes, he was. He was a very soft-spoken man. Uh, he was also very crafty, very you know, slick. We should explain what he did during the yeah. Civil War. But, but he, he, was a very, he was very, very smart. Yeah. And he, um, yeah, after it was over, like you mentioned, his ties to... Ulysses S. Grant supporting him. I mean, he was the U.S. ambassador to Hong Kong for yeah. like 10 years almost. Yeah. And um, he was also sort of a natural, I hate to use the word genius, it's just overused, but he is a natural guerrilla, unconventional war fighter. So, yeah. he, he, so in, he invented it all yeah, basically yeah. out of his head. Yeah. yeah. So if you go back, you know, if you ask people around here, like the history of us around here about Moses, he's like, he's revered almost. Yeah, yeah. But if you go back, what? 100, 120 years, yeah. and you ask people around here about Mosby, curse his name up one side down the other. Like yeah. he's, he was a traitor to the cause. He's, you know, we don't want to ever mention Yeah, it. but he, he took care of his men because mm. uh, John Russell uh, got a job with the government. Yeah, yeah. Because. No, he, yeah. he, but yeah. I think it's funny that, that um, while he was at UVA, that he ended up in jail because of a brawl. Yeah. He shot someone in the throat. Yep. Yep. And he ended up studying. He became a lawyer by studying law books while he was in jail. Well, yeah. one of the houses, one of the houses in the county, Union soldiers were looking for him at Deermont. Yeah. And they came looking for him, and they couldn't find him. But there was a 
passage under the stairs that mm-hmm. they were able to carve out and hide he and his men, and they never found him at Deermont. And he was actually at the uh, Clark Hotel down in Millwood. Yes, that's where they were supposed to make the arrangement to meet him. They were going to assassinate that's him. That's a nice Morgan connection there. He's, yeah. It's in Millwood. That's where they're going. That's his final surrender negotiations, mm-hmm. right. basically, where he rides off into the Blue Ridge, refusing to surrender. Right. right. That's and he like, ends up in Marshall. Yeah, and they, they, do they demobilize at Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks very much, Mary. Uh, as a archivist, what do you? Uh, we should probably conclude on some news you can use for people. What do you wish that people coming to do research in a little local archives? What do you wish they would realize? That we have got a heck of a lot here that nobody knows about, but luckily we have it all up online where they can search it. And so I'm hoping that they will find some gems. Mm-hmm. You do have a great website. Uh, great we try. Website. Yeah, you have a lot of stuff online. It's amazing. It's very helpful. It's been. It's we've had we've had inquiries and usage from as far away as Dublin, Ireland, mm-hmm. when somebody was doing a master's thesis on theater disasters around the world, mm-hmm. and we had information on the Knickerbocker one down in Washington, D.C. in the 1900s. Uh-huh. So, you know, little small places can have a lot more than you think they do. Yeah. So I want people to understand that they don't always have to go to the biggest places to find what they need. They can find a lot in a little small town of 5,000 people. <laughs> Nathan, what would you say to someone who's wondering, you know, why should they support their local historical association or historical society? That's where you're going to get the true history. I mean, local historical associations, they're going to have letters, documents, photographs, artifacts, portraits of everybody in the county. I mean, anybody. there's going to be so much family connections there. It's a good place to, feed, to find out how it all ties together. You come into a small county or a small town and you see a lot of the same last names. You're like, well, I wonder why the street is named this. I wonder why that estate is named that. What, that house is really big. I wonder what's the historical significance of that. It's all here. And it's one of the things I got... This is one of the things I encourage. When the, the big controversy over the Civil War statues coming down, I was asked quite a bit, you know, what is your stance on this? And I said, my stance is simply this. Throughout human history, statues come, statues go. Whatever the political tides say are going to happen. But one thing remains, the history cannot be erased. You go to your local museums. You go to your local historical associations. You learn the facts. You learn the historical facts about who these people were, what they did, what were their ties to the area. And then you come to some common ground with people who disagree. Maybe people who say, oh, these are horrible, horrible people. Well, that's their opinion, and maybe in some ways they're right. But there's also just look at the historical associations, come together with people, look at all the research and all the history there, and then you can make informed opinions. And then you can understand. We are, you cannot understand the present or plan for the future without knowing the past. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I love Clark County. It's a unique and interesting place, and um, Daniel Morgan is. Uh, I you couldn't understand. I can't understand him. You can't understand him without understanding this place. Mm-hmm. Um, Calpens is not the most important place in Daniel Morgan's life. Um, 
Millwood is. No. <laughs> yeah. Clark, Clark County is. Uh, yeah. There are a lot. Of, he's here. I mean, he's one of hundreds who built this place, mm-hmm. thousands. Um, but this is the place in which he lived and died and sweated and bled, um, and it's important to yeah. understanding him and tens of thousands of other people. So thanks very much. All right, thank you. Thank you. For more historical thinking, go to our Facebook page where you can comment on today's program and suggest ideas for programs to come. Please subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. And if you like what you've heard, please, please leave a review so that others can find us. Our program's editor is John Runat. I'm your host, Al Zambone. Talk to you next week.